Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Is this still working? Hang hang on. Yeah, it is. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, November 4th, 2019. Back from a hiatus, an unfortunately necessary one, and I think we got it all worked out. Hi. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose. And yes, we're back to daily. Daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which to help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, (gasps) self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that's put forward for consumption by the average evangelical, far from biblical, far from what God's Word says, and it's just generally a mess out there. All right, so we are back in production on a daily basis now here for the podcast. We had no intention of shelving it uh, for as long as we did. Unfortunately, there were a lot of circumstances that required us to kind of rethink you know, our production schedule, how we're doing things, and juggle. How do we juggle between our uh, fledgling, now growing, really rapidly YouTube channel and our podcast? And then, of course, in the midst of all that, how do I juggle then uh, the fact that I'm also a, a, a an ordained pastor? So I pastor uh, a couple of congregations, and so had to sort all that out. We think we got, got the details. <laughs> worked out. Hopefully we're not going to fall on our face. Uh, But uh, we are back in production, and so let's talk about what we're going to do today. You're going to note that we're going to, we make a concerted effort now to uh, capitalize on the content both between the YouTube channel as well as the podcast, because we recognize that a lot of our, uh, the people that we reach, they uh, they prefer to uh, listen to Fighting for the Faith rather than watch it on YouTube. We get that. And uh, and so we don't want to have people kind of missing stuff, but at the same time, we also want to produce 
content that lends itself to either audio or video, and oftentimes it does both, but I know that was completely cryptic and <laughs> not exactly clear. All right, so all that being said, let me start off the program by saying this as far as when we get into our content. Um, in the 11-plus years that I have been doing Fighting for the Faith, uh, you know, I, I like to say it, I've had a front row seat for the great apostasy, and I must let everybody know there's nothing great about the great apostasy. In fact, it's it's terrifying. It's it's frightening. And the reason why it is frightening is because it is going to result in a lot of people filling churches or places that call themselves churches where they are never going to be confronted with their sin. They are never going to meaningfully be taught that Christ Jesus, the, the Son of God in human flesh, bled and died for their sins, and call them to penitent faith in Christ for forgiveness and reconciliation with God, and then bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Uh, over and again, the, you know, the, the rule of the day now is to tell people what they want to hear because the primary goal in evangelicalism is to grow your church into a mega church. So fidelity to sound doctrine is out the window. And over and again, the people who are being put forward as experts in church growth and those who've accomplished it, you know, the mega church vision casting leaders, uh, they are looked to as, and, and you cannot question or challenge them because God has clearly blessed them with, with large venues and stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the proof is always in the, new, in the numerical pudding uh, when it comes to attendance and to say otherwise is, well, just shows that you don't know what you're talking about. At least this is how you're treated. Okay. All of that being said, there has been a marked increase. It, it, it just significantly marked increase in n not just the prolific, plur, the proliferation, <laughs> I can't even say the word, the, the, the exponential, uh, creation of error, you know, people who are twisting God's word and committing serious errors. But beyond error, there is actual heresy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a, a heresy is an error that is so serious that it puts one outside the Christian faith. And the, the reason being is that it touches on core fundamental doctrines. Uh, for instance, the nature of God, you know, the deity of Christ, the gospel itself. Uh, the Apostle Paul lays out, you know, the, you know, kind of the major, you know, the three kind of tent poles of you, if you would, of what would constitute a heresy, and that's a different spirit, a different Jesus, and a different gospel. And all three of those will send you outside of the Christian faith and result in a terrible outcome on the day of judgment. And, and I want. I want you to hear what I'm what I'm going to say here, and that is is that you know it is as much as here at Fighting for the Faith, I think it's important that our content is engaging, and there are times in which we rightly make fun of and ridicule the bizarre nonsense that's being put forward for teaching. Sometimes that's the right way of offering a critique for a false doctrine, just pointing out that it is just complete insanity and that it's lunacy to believe something this ridiculous. 
and that that is a that is a, a tactic in and of itself but it is not the goal of fighting for the faith the goal of fighting for the faith is to help open the eyes of people because we are concerned about them i have been deceived i have spent time in a cult i know the the anxiety and fear that comes from sitting under teaching that doesn't properly handle god's word and make the proper distinction between law and gospel, and I know the despair firsthand that that can lead to in uh, it, within the psyche of a person. All of that being said, I, I, you know, as tempting as it was to leave Christianity, I was convinced that the Bible was true, but that I didn't know what it said. And so, you know, you can say that the the major project of my adult life has been the study of sound biblical exegesis, of rightly understanding who the scriptures are about and how to rightly handle biblical texts, and and not to make me look like the smartest guy in the room, because I'm not. The idea here is that if God gifts a human being with the ability to rightly understand his word and to preach it and teach it and explain it, then that person is to use that ability for the purpose of serving other people, to be their slave, to be their servant, to help them in love so that they could, well, thrive and benefit from what the Bible really says. Now, that being said, there are some very dangerous people in the church today, and unfortunately, rather than being drummed out of the church when they are spewing patently false doctrines. They are instead giving standing, standing ovations, and this is terrifying to me because the people who are giving a standing ovation to a heretic who is falsely teaching and teaching uh, you know, God's Word and teaching actual heresies, I mean, that shows just how blind and under the control of the devil that they are. So as we are resetting the table here at Fighting for the Faith and uh, getting back into our daily production, I want to make this clear, and that is, is that we are doing what we are doing because we are deeply concerned, have care for, and love those who are being deceived by the false teachers. Now that being said, I, I think it's important that you know it, that you know something about my focus, and that is is that my focus is on those who are being deceived, not necessarily the deceivers, because in my years of doing this, uh, of doing discernment work, I it's it's such a rare item I can't even count at all how many times somebody who has been genuinely a false teacher and a heretic has truly repented. You think of Costi Hinn uh, as like a standout, but he's the exception. And so the idea then here is as much as I do care for and pray for false teachers, they're not the people I'm trying to reach with fighting for the faith. I'm trying to reach the people who are under the sway and the spell of the false teachers because I'm convinced that God's Word being living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, when God's Word rightly taught 
in its context is put into their ears or shown to their eyes that God, not me, God will open their eyes to the deception that they are in and set them free. And that's the goal, fighting for the faith. We are contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. This is exactly what Scripture commands us to do in Jude 3. And all of this is for, for the sake of our neighbors, for the sake of our Christian brethren, for the sake of those who are deceived. All right. Now, that's a little bit of a long monologue as we are resetting the table on our daily podcast. So with that, we're going to note that in today's episode, we're going to do two segments. And the first one is breathtakingly frightening in it, it when you consider the implications of it. And that is we're, we're, we're going to be heading down to the potter's house. Uh, segment number one, we're going to be listening to a sermon or part of a sermon delivered by Ron Carpenter at the potter's house titled The Power of Your Sound. And Ron Carpenter, and I'm not making this up, in this segment, you are going to hear him teaching the exact heresy that 1 John chapter 4 says is from the Antichrist. Not making that up. So, uh, you know, hang on to your hats. We'll take a break when we're done with the Ron Carpenter segment. And then we're going to head back to the Potter's House, and we're going to listen to T.D. Jakes kind of building off of uh, Ron Carpenter's false teaching. And T.D. Jakes teaching that human beings pre-existed before they were created. Yeah, which Ron Carpenter also will be teaching in segment one. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable We've got a lot of ground we need to cover, and since we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, let's do this. Get up right now. Have you ever heard of the heresy known as Gnosticism? You probably have run into Gnosticism, even if you've never heard the name Gnosticism actually spelled out before. Uh, I'll explain it as we go, but basic premise is matter is evil, spirit good. The real you has nothing to do with your physical body. The real you is pure spirit, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, that's Gnosticism. And this impacts their Christology, by the way, and this is the reason why Gnosticism historically has been considered a heresy, because, you know, it is. <laughs> so, case in point, we're going to be heading over to um, 
T.D. Jakes' church. Yeah, um, the Potter's House out there in Dallas. And we're going to listen to Ron Carpenter, who we've actually demonstrated in the past. He's openly admitted to being a Gnostic and teaching Gnosticism is a good thing. Yeah, it's in the archives of our Fighting for the Faith podcast. If you haven't seen those yet, actually, how can you see a podcast? Heard them, heard them. Yeah. Sorry, senior moment. You know, it's just, you know, I'm getting old. So anyway, we're going to head over there and uh, let's whirl this up and then get our desktop up. We'll do some debunking along the way because, wow, does Ron Carpenter twist scripture here. And this doesn't fall into the category, by the way, of like, an error this falls into the category of flat out heresy it's it arises above error you know yeah it, it really does <laughs> so uh let's uh let's whirl that up and uh here's ron carpenter um there is a difference between when you were created and when you were made now that's not true and i'll show it to you from the hebrew but just let him spin this out. So there's a difference between when you were created and when you were made. That's weird because uh, the Hebrew uses made and created interchangeably. Yeah, it does uh, in uh, Genesis uh, in 1 in particular, but we'll continue. The word made means to take from one substance. Yeah, by the way, I forgot to tell you this. I should have braced you for this. Yeah, the name, <laughs> the name of the sermon is The Power of Your Sound. Yeah, I'm not making that up. And make into another substance. All right, got to back that up. So let me just back it up 10 seconds. Listen again. And when you were made. Mm, Yeah. The word made means to take from one substance and make into another substance. What? Take from one substance and make into another substance? You know, like when you make a house, you're taking lumber and you know, drywall and nails and glue and, you know, and stucco and pipes and wires and thingies. Uh, Does the wood turn into a different substance? No, it stays wood. Yeah, so uh, he's uh, playing fast and loose with some definitions here. God made you a body. He took from one thing and made it another thing. He took from the dust of the ground And he made, he formed Adam a body. But your body is not the real you. (coughs) Your body just houses the real you. Your body is a temporary location while you fulfill an assignment in the earth. That is straight up false. That's, yeah, that's not true at all. Uh, Yeah, your body isn't a temporary place for an assignment that you need to accomplish on the earth. Have you heard of the resurrection of the dead? Yeah, when Jesus returns in glory, he's going to raise, you know, everyone from the dead bodily, the same way Jesus was raised. But let's do a little debunking work, uh, shall we? Uh, We'll start in uh, Genesis chapter 1. We will pay close attention to a particular verb uh, in the first sentence of Scripture. In the Hebrew, it reads, Barashit bara Elohim et ha shamayim va'eth ha eretz. And uh, in, just translated, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Hebrew verb for created is bara, bara. So you'll note that's our first Hebrew word for the day, bara. And you're going to note that Genesis 1 uses bara and a different Hebrew word, the Hebrew word for made, 
interchangeably. Yeah. So I have to scroll down here just a smudge and uh, look for the day when God created the cattle and the beasts of the earth and stuff like that. So let's see here. All right. So Genesis 1.24, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made, made, made. Okay. And, and so our Hebrew word here is asa. So God made asa. He made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. God saw that it was good. So two Hebrew word, verbs so far, and they are bara, to create, and asa, to make. Okay, so you got the idea here. Now we're going to pay close attention to how the words work here in Genesis 1. So then God said, let us make man in our image. And if you were paying attention, you would know that the Hebrew verb here for make would be asa, right? So God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created, bara, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created, bara, them male and female, he created them, bara. So no. God says, let us make and let us cre- and create and make are just used interchangeably. Now, the, the details then of how we came to be are quite important because what, uh, <clears throat> what uh, Mr. Uh, uh, yeah, Mr. Uh, Carpenter, my apologies, senior moment there, but, but Mr. Ron Carpenter is saying here, is also contradicted by scripture. So listen to the creation of man. So when no bush of the field, this is Genesis 2, was yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for Yahweh Elohim had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. A mist was going up from the land that was watering the whole face of the ground. Then Yahweh Elohim, here's our third verb, Yatsar, Yatsar, God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And you'll note here that prior to his becoming a living creature, he wasn't a living creature. So here's the idea. Humanity, human beings, have a physical body, and they have an intelligent soul, soul that was put together, you know, put into them by God himself. And so human beings are, you know, are cut into two, if you would, body and soul. To take the soul out of the body is to cause death. And that does not mean that your soul is the real you while your body is something, well, just dispensable. It's not the real you. It's just your your earth suit. No, you are comprised of body and soul. And Christ physically bled and died on the cross to save not merely your soul, but also your body as well, because the two go together to make the one person who is you. There's not two of you. There's only one of you, all right? 
There's not the body part of me and then the soul part of me. No, I am, I am comprised of both the body and soul. So are you. And there's only one of you. There ain't two of you. And your body is not the, like, the dispensable part. And you would be, you know, your soul being the real thing or whatever. No, your body and soul together. And when Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead, he's going to raise you from the grave bodily. That Jesus himself was bodily raised from the grave. This is important stuff. So we'll note here that uh, the things that Ron Carpenter are saying here, this is heresy. This puts him outside the Christian faith. The things that he's saying here are are from Gnosticism. We'll talk about the dangers of Gnosticism more in a minute. But let's uh, return and hear a little bit more of him spinning this heresy out, shall we? The Bible says that you were created in Christ Jesus before the foundations of the earth were ever laid. The word... G, the word uh... Now, I'm going to note he's uh, taking a particular text out of context and not going to Genesis 1. Uh, the text in particular that he's using is from Ephesians chapter 2 uh, that says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Yeah, yeah, so... We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. And we're going to note something here. The created in Christ Jesus for good works part is not referring to our creation or our birth. It's talking about our new birth. Uh huh. Yeah, so that's kind of because note here what's going on here. Uh, in, uh, in Ephesians, in fact, I sorry, my apologies. I went a little too far. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in trespasses, in sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the, uh, in, in the uh, sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So you'll note that Ephesians 2 begins with our state after the fall. And this has to do with post-creation. This is as this post-Genesis. This is actually, this occurred, the fall occurred in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3. And so you'll note, as a result of it, all of humanity then is born dead in trespasses and sins. But watch how this continues. So, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with him and seated us up with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not the result of works, so that no one may boast. And then here we go. For we are God's workmanship, we Christians, created in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, talking about our regeneration, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So again, he's just, at this point, really uh, striving to twist up the biblical text is the best way I can put it. Because he's trying to create this idea that you pre-existed. The real you is pre-existed, pre-existed. And, and that uh, 
and that the the important thing about you is your spirit, yeah, the body. Yeah, who cares about that? I mean, it's just your earth suit and stuff like that. The Bible don't teach that, and the verses he's uh, referencing don't teach that either. Uh, Christ means anointing, the anointed one. The now let me back this up so you can hear how his argument apparently goes. And I'll back this up 10 seconds. Christ Jesus, before the foundations of the earth were ever laid. The word, G, the word uh, Christ means anointing. The anointed one, the anointing. So Now, there's a difference between an anointing and the anointed one. One is a participle, uh, you know, a verbal noun. The other is a noun. <laughs> Christ is the anointed one. Jesus is the Christ. That's noun. Jesus isn't the anointing. That's a participle. All right. So that that's a verbal noun, but it, you can't say Jesus is both the anointed one and the anointing. Um, yeah, we got we got a big problem here. So he's playing fast and loose and changing and basically interchanging a participle with a noun. This is super slick. Bible twisting on his part. Let me back it up just a little bit again. Listen again. For the foundations of the earth were ever laid. The word G, the word uh, Christ means anointing. The anointed one, the anointing. So I was created in the anointing. No, you were not. You were not created in the anointing. See, see what he's doing here? So if we were created in Christ Jesus for good works... Well, that means we were created in the anointing. No, it doesn't. I mean, so grammar really helps in discernment. I'm just saying. Before God ever said, let there be light. The word created means to take from nothing. So the real you didn't show up when your mother and father biologically hooked up and conception took place. The real you was created in the anointing sometime in heaven before God ever laid the foundations of the world. No text says this. In fact, Genesis 1 and 2 explicitly rule this out. This is Gnosticism mixed with Mormonism at this point. And what God did is he took the real you and then formed you a body. And no, that's not true at all either. And the real you is living inside this house. This is not your real house. This is not who you really are. Some of us, we have a, a, a tall house, a short house, a big house, a small house, a black house, a white house. My wife's a brick house. All kind of houses. Don't matter what kind of house you got. You just got to understand this is just a house. Tell your neighbor this is just a house. Just mm -hmm. tell your neighbor that your body's just a house. No, it's not. Jesus Christ bled and died for that body, and Jesus Christ is going to raise that body from the dead. Yes, sir. -y. The house. Difference between when you're created and when you're made. By the way, if I sound a little nasally, um, I, I battled in a cold before I got here, and when we were descending in the plane, there was a big pop in this ear, and I can't hear a thing out of it. So I'm believing before I. So he's got a broken house. Okay. I believe somebody's going to agree with me. This ear is going to open back up. Amen. All right. So there's a there's a difference between when you were created and when you were made. That no, there isn't. No, there is not. Now, Colossians three one through three. I'm a teacher, so let me let me roll this out says that you have died and your life is hidden with God in Christ. 
Right. Yeah. So I've died and my life is hidden in God in Christ. Okay. Yes, I have. When did that take place? Oh, I know. Scripture's clear. When did we die? So let me uh, let me throw an, an, another text in here, which some of you may not even be familiar with at all. Uh, we Christians are already dead, and the Apostle Paul explains when that death took place. And in fact, it's quite important that we recognize this and embrace the concept. And uh, here's what it says: What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Well, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Romans 6 makes it clear that uh, if you are a baptized believer in Jesus, uh, well, then you died and rose again with Christ already. By the way, this then becomes the the uh, primary weapon then you use against the devil because you're no longer enslaved to sin because one who has died has been set free from sin. So Colossians 3, then the text that he's using out of context and mangling here says, if then you have been raised with Christ, again, I have, yeah, I'm baptized, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the uh, right hand of the Father, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is most certainly true, but the way he's using it is not the way Paul is using it at all. The meanings are very different. And again, I would remind you, uh, Ron Carpenter is is publicly on record as saying that he's Gnostic. So we continue. Here again, Christ means anointing. Let me tell you something about the anointing. His name is Jesus. No, Christ does not mean anointing. Ha Christos means the anointed one. Yeah, not the anointing. So yeah, I sorry I had to correct this guy, but he's like, you know, a heresy every you know ten seconds at this rate. We'll never get through this teaching. But we continue. Christ. I don't want to insult your intelligence, but I don't want to assume anything. Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. Christ is his function. He is Jesus the anointing. Jesus the anointed one. He is, again, those two concepts are not interchangeable. He's not the anointing and the anointed one. Jesus the man came, died on the cross, rose again. Jesus the man? Jesus is the God, man, again, note, Gnosticism always causes you to go into a heretical Christology. Let me back this up just a smidge again. This is his function. He is Jesus the anointing, Jesus the anointed one. Jesus the man came, died on the cross, rose again, and then went and sat at the right hand of the Father, and there he ever makes intercession for you and me. The man Jesus came, and he's back with the Father. Christ never left the earth. (laughs) What? I told you this was heresy, man. So Christ never left the earth. Christ, the anointing. So notice that he is making a distinction between Christ and Jesus. 
That's exactly what the scriptures warn us about, by the way. Uh, I would note that uh, Gnosticism really, really got up and running uh, during the life of the Apostle John. He had to hit it head on. And the epistle of 1 John is written against the Gnostics. So listen to what John says. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Note, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. Every spirit that does not confess that confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Mm-hmm. So you're going to note here, Ron Carpenter is embracing the very theology that 1 John 4 says is from the Antichrist. Yeah, no no joke there. I mean, and I'm not engaging in hyperbole either. This is for real Antichrist doctrine. Hear it again. I'll back this up just a smidge. Here we go. At the right hand of the Father, and there he ever makes intercession for you and me. The man Jesus came, and he's back with the Father. Christ never left the earth. Unbelievable. Uh, this, is blasph- this is Antichrist blasphemy. That's what this is. Whew. I'm- and, and there's the people at T.D. Jakes' Potter House going, Yeah, way to go! He's sending all these people to hell. Going somewhere with this. Yeah, you're going to go to the lake of fire. That's where you're going with this. For those of you who don't know me, it seems like I'm going to open up a bunch of random loose ends, but at the end, we'll tie them all together. I promise you, okay? Christ never left the earth. He just waited in the earth for another body to descend upon. So note, he makes a distinction between Jesus and the Christ. Again, that's exactly what 1 John 4 says is the, is the doctrine of Antichrist. And so in the upper room, he found the body, the new body of Christ, and then he descended upon that new body, and now we make up the body of Christ. We make up the body of the anointing. Come on, somebody. No, this is absolute Antichrist blasphemy that you're spewing here. I'm not a full expression of the anointing. You're not a full expression of the I'm not an expression of the anointing. The anointing, but God gives us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, evangelists, teachers, until we all reach the full stature of the measure of Christ. So God gives us leaders till we all come into unity in the faith. And I may not be like Christ all by myself, but when I hook up with you and you and you and you and you, then we begin to be the full expression of the body of the anointing. Somebody shout. Wow. 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 I, that, that, again, I don't even have words at this point. Blasphemy, heresy, it, it, this is flat-out rebellion against God. This doctrine comes from the pit of hell. The apostle John tells us that. God, I'm anointed. I'm anointed. Now, the Bible says my life is hidden with Christ. My life is hidden with God in the anointing. No, it doesn't say that. You're playing word games. Everything... About me, my past, my present, my future is in my anointing. The anointing is the word that is descriptive of the residency of the Holy Ghost. No, it's not. You're just making this up. 
Everything that I will ever be is already in me. So God doing something in my life is not coming out the air conditioning vent and coming externally and entering my life. It's already in me and I've got to learn how to push it out. No biblical text says this either. Everything that you will ever do and ever be is already on the inside of you. Touch your neighbor and say, it's already in there. It's already in there. So, I, No, it's not. And I'm not going to touch my neighbor either. I've got to learn how do I grab a hold of the potential that is resting inside of my anointing and then live up to the potential of my anointing. Then in the next verse, he says, therefore, set your mind on things above where Christ is. So in other words, I've got to. Yeah, where's Christ, by the way? Note that the text that he's quoting totally contradicts him. Okay, because remember he said that the anointing never left, but that Jesus, the man, sits at the right hand of the Father, right? Let's see. <laughs> so this is just unbelievable. Let's see if he quoted this correctly. Yeah. Your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So set your minds on things that are above. Yeah, for that's where Christ is. Yeah, so, I mean, the text that he's quoting just flat out contradicts him. Wow! Take my anointing where my whole potential is and then set my mind on things above where the anointing is. It's not a matter of are you anointed. If the, if you said the anointing never left the earth and you just now said it's, a, it's in heaven where the anointing is. You're contradicting yourself in your false doctrine it's can you think on the level of your anointing when you can get your mind in the same place with your what if you're anointed to be wealthy but you think like a pauper what if you're anointed to be great but you think like a weakling what if you are anointed to be successful but you think like a failure we do not arrive at the place of our anointing we arrive at the place of our thoughts because as a man thinketh in his heart so is he yeah, um, so he's um, kind of mixed Gnosticism now with uh, one of the major proof texts out of context of the word of faith heresy. As a man thinketh, and so is he. So are you thinketh-thinking, thinketh-thing, are you thinketh-thing correctly, you know, so that you can, are you thinketh-thing like you're poor when your, your potential is to be rich? Yeah, I know that's not really how the, the <laughs> words work. But uh, let me show you this from the text. We're going to be over in Proverbs. Proverbs 23, Proverbs 23, and here's the King James version of it, because this is how they take it out of context, and it's Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. See, there it is, da-da, 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 see, it's, you got to think right, you don't want to be engaging in stinking thinking, no, that's not what's going on here. So here's what it is. Three rules, by the way, for sound biblical exegesis are context, context, and context. So eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. With uh, the morsel which thou hast eaten, shalt thou vomit up and lose thy sweet words. And he's sitting there going, okay, that's not saying that our thoughts create reality. No, it's not at all. In fact, let's go with the ESV translation, and let me get this a little bit bigger. Um, and here's what it says in the ESV. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy, 
Do not desire his delicacy, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. See, this is a proverb about if you know somebody who's really stingy, if they're, they seem like they're being generous and say, here, eat this. They don't really want you to eat it because it costs money, you know. So, you know, his heart's not with you. That's the point here. So you'll note that uh, Ron Carpenter here, um, as you th- as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So, yeah, no, that's not what that text says at all. Uh, this guy is wrong on every count. He hasn't said anything that's biblically solid at all. Hmm. My thinking defines my ears, and if I'm going to show up where my anointing is, I'm going to have to learn to think on the level of my anointing. Somebody that's going to take your thinking higher today, shout hallelujah. Yeah, I'm not going to shout hallelujah. I'm going to shout, run, flee the building. This guy's a flat-out heretic. He's a Gnostic. Everything that he's teaching here is flat-out false, and he's going to have to give an accounting to God for this. Yeah, uh, let, let me throw this in as like a bonus, shall I? Uh, so if we were to go to, um, let, let's say, uh, the, the, the book of Job. All right, let, we'll go to Job. And let's see here. Uh, the, the text in particular I want to go to is at the end, at the end, where, where um, God and Job have a conversation. God talks to Job out of the whirlwind, and Job ends up repenting. Because Job basically claimed that God was in the wrong to punish him because it's the evildoers, the unrighteous, who are punished, not the righteous. And he considered himself to be among the righteous. That's not true at all. In fact, there's none righteous, no, not one, the scripture says. And so God had to have a little conversation with him. And Job repents. Job repents. But remember Job's three comforters? Yeah, those guys. Uh, they, they are, their theology was completely wackerdoodle. They totally said false things about God. And I want you to consider God's reaction to them. And, uh, but we'll start with Job's repentance. So after Job was confronted by God, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? You know, all that, that, that great dialogue, that discourse you can read uh, in the uh, chapters that precede ver- chapter 42. So Job will repent. He says, I know that you can do all things that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Uh, so who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand, things that are too wonderful for me, which I did not know. So hear, and I will speak, and I will question you, and you make it known to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent dust and ashes so job ended up having to repent because he found fault with god and not rightly so he didn't know what he was talking about so he repented god you're right i'm wrong now consider what follows next is what god says in judgment with job's three comforters whose theology was completely whack i mean one guy was like a joel osteen prosperity guy Another guy was like a complete self-righteous pietist. And another guy was kind of like some weird Gnostic, weird morphine. Anyway, all their theology was whack. And the things they said about God were way off the mark. And watch God's reaction to them. So after Yahweh had spoken these words to Job, Yahweh said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger 
burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So note here, um, God's anger burned hot against Job's three comforters because they didn't speak correctly about God at all. Mm-hmm. So that being the case, I, what, you know, all the false teachers out there, you might want to pay attention to this. Ron Carpenter, you might want to pay attention to this. God's anger burns hot against those who take his name in vain and do not teach the truth about him. So now, therefore, take seven bulls, seven rams, go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering yourselves and my servant Job. He'll pray for you. Now, note, God isn't going to listen to their prayers. He'll listen to Job's, but not theirs. He will God will only deal with them through a mediator. So my servant Job, shall, he shall pray for you. I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite went and did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Yeah, so yeah the Job prayed that God would not deal with them according to their folly. I think we need to pray the same then for Ron Carpenter, that he would repent and recognize that God's anger is burning hot against him because what he is teaching regarding God isn't right at all. The things he's putting forward and spewing and people are applauding, these are doctrines of demons. And the Apostle John identifies his Christology as being from the Antichrist. That's how serious this is. So pray that they would repent and pray. If you know anybody who's believing, who listens to Ron Carpenter and is believing this theology of this man, that you need to rescue them from the pit, man, because they're on their way to hell. This is not a this is not a small error that he teaches. This is flat out rank heresy. It is the Gnostic heresy on steroids in the flesh, pun intended. Uh, you know, in in the 21st century, and it's as deadly today as it was in the first century when the Apostle John penned 1 John, which was written against the Gnostics. Keep that in mind. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. Uh, we're going to be listening to T.D. Jakes teaching that human beings pre-existed. No, they didn't, but he's going to try to make his case. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents 
Church Day Select. And I'm okay. I scheme all night and I lie all day. He's a heretic and he's okay. He schemes all night and he lies all day. I twist God's word, I put on shows that do better on Broadway. Have you seen The Lion King? It'll be here on Sunday. He twists God's word, he puts on shows that do better on Broadway. Have you seen the Lion King? It'll be here on Sunday. He's a heretic and he's okay. He schemes all night and he lies all day. Twist God's word, I take your tithe and spend it on private jets. Have you seen my bank account? It's bigger than yours, I'll bet. He twists God's word, he takes your tithe and spends it on private jets. Have you seen his bank account? It's bigger than yours, I'll bet. He's a heretic and he's okay. He schemes all night and he lies all day. With God's word, I write bad books that will land you all in hell. I'll never say I'm sorry, cause I'll be there as well. He twists God's word, he writes bad books that will land us all in hell. Ah! Welcome to the American Lutheran Theological Seminary. I'm Dwayne Clevin, Administrator for ALTS. Our online program, the Master of Theological Studies, or MTS program, prepares men of all ages called to parish ministry on a path to ordination within the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Our MTS program prepares future pastors with critical instruction in the Greek language to read the gospel in the language in which it was written and also detailed studies in exegesis, systematics, church history, and practical applications of parish ministry. Our courses cover topics from theological prolegomena, Old and New Testament, pastoral theology and life, to practical preaching. As an ALTS pastoral candidate, you will also serve as an intern or vicar for at least 12 months under the supervision of a senior pastor. The purpose of the vicarage is to show you the practical aspects of parish life while you complete your studies. At the American Lutheran Theological Seminary, all our classes are online. Our technology provides an interactive classroom experience from the comfort of your own home. Come join us. Let's walk together. On the web, please find the American Lutheran Theological Seminary at www.alts.edu or email our registrar's office at registrar at alts.edu. Thank you. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. 
So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that they're for real heretics uh, being applauded in mega churches today. Because they are. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. The way you do that is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, this is a great way to support us, by the way. Joining our crew, you're signing up for a monthly financial commitment, and your rank in our crew is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. If you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, Click on the Become a Patron button. If you would like to support us the traditional and analog way, you can do that as well. All you have to do is make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. I've got... 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira. Now the Deutschmark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money, you can make a splash. Nothing quite as wonderful as money, 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 money. money. Nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, 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 money. Everyone must hanker for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round, 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 round. You can keep your Marxist ways, but it's only just a phase. For it's money, money, money makes the world go round. Money, 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 money. So today we're heading over to the Potter's house. Again, we're heading back there, and we're going to be listening to, well, T.D. Jakes, and he's going to be saying some stuff that's just, like, insane and bad. And, in fact, let, let me let me do this. Uh, I'm going to uh, gotta turn my desktop on. There we go. And let's get my screen. And before we do that, I would like to remind you, 
of a biblical text, a prophecy from the Apostle Paul. Actually, it's not really much of a prophecy, but consider what he writes to young Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, in, in, we'll start at verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And before we get started with this segment from uh, T.D. Jakes, I think it's important to note that in my years of doing Fighting for the Faith, the Ron Carpenter segment stands out as almost, if not the worst and uh, blatant false teaching I've heard or seen or witnessed in all the years that I've been doing this. I mean, it, it, how do you say this? That Except for that when somebody teaches the exact doctrine that First John chapter 4 says is the doctrine of Antichrist, and does it to applause within the visible church, what does that tell you about the sad state of affairs? It's horrifying. Well, T.D. Jakes is one of these guys who he is an extremely gifted thespian. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm talking about somebody who is, uh, you know, in, into acting. He, he is great delivery. He is a great thespian. And a little bit of a note, he teaches modalism, which is a heresy. Uh, he denies the doctrine of the Trinity and teaches that there's one God, one person uh, within God, and that God takes on different modes. You know, you know, sometimes he manifests as the Father. Other times he puts on his son hat. And other times he manifests as the Holy Spirit. And this is a heresy. This puts one outside the Christian faith. Well, in the category of going from bad to worse, which is what the Apostle Paul said, happens to uh, to false teachers and those who are deceivers. T.D. Jakes now has jumped on to the We Pre-Existed bandwagon and has decided to embellish and add on to the false doctrine taught by Ron Carpenter. So the name of the message we'll be listening to, uh, at least a portion of us, I Didn't Know I Was Me. Where do they get these names? And I didn't know it was, I didn't know I was me. And I'll just let T.D. Jake spin this out. We will be doing a biblical debunking along the way because some of the claims he makes are just flat-out false. I mean, there's no way to justify it. So uh, let's get to it. Here is T.D. Jake's, and I didn't know I was me. I, wanna, I have to go deeper. See, I, if I get on this, I got to go deeper. If you read the, 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 the creation story in the book of Genesis, over and over again, you will see the word re, he restored, he replenished, he redeemed, re is to do over again. Okay, he did it over again. He did it over again, it's been done before. All right, so we'll start with claim number one, that when you go back into the creation account in the book of Genesis, which is found in Genesis 1 and 2, over and again, you're going to see the word re, you know, he restored, he replenished, which means he did it over again. Let's fact check that, shall we? And uh, we will go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We were there with the Ron Carpenter segment. So uh, we'll, we're going to look for the restoring, the re the, the reing that he was talking about as if somehow, well, the earth has been created before kind of thing. 
So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. God set the, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind, trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. So we're up to the third day, and there's six days of creation. We're halfway through, and I don't see anything about reing. Re, reing, yeah, restoring, replenishing. No, none of that going on at all. But he said it was there in the creation account. So God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens and separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate uh, the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. God said, let the waters, the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters and the seas. I'm not seeing anything about re, re reing, replenishing or anything. I know fill the waters and the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning the fifth day. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kind. It was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kind, livestock according to their kinds, everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth and every creeping thing. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed on its face of the earth, every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. It was so. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was good. It was very good. Tov ma'od. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Yeah, I don't see any reing going on here. Um, I, you know, maybe it's just me. You know. Anyway, well, let's let's take a look. Okay, so by the way, Genesis one is like the 
30,000 foot overview of creation itself. And uh, Genesis 2 drills down into the creation of humanity. So uh, let's take a look at the, uh, you know, the, the drill down in Genesis 2. So thus the heavens and the earth where they were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished all the work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Uh, when they were created in the day that Yahweh Elohim made the earth and the heavens. So when no bush of the field was in the was yet in the land, no small plant in the field had yet sprung up, for uh, the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. There was no man to work the ground. A mist was going up from the land, watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust, uh, from dust and the, uh, from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed out of the ground. God made the spring up to spring up every tree that is pleasant in the sight, good for food. Tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, so um, nothing in Genesis 1 or 2 about restoring, replenishing, or anything of that sort. Let me uh, restart the video so you can hear again the claim. And T.D. Jakes is just straight out lying. That's the only way I can describe what I'm listening to here, but let's listen. I want. I have to go deeper. See, I, if I get on this, I got to go deeper. If you read the, 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 the creation story in the book of Genesis, over and over again, you will see the word re- over and over again. I didn't see it once. He restored. He replenished. He redeemed. Re is to do over again. Okay, he did it over again. He did it over again. It's been done before. Oh, wow. It's been done before. Somebody say before. How is it that you have an entire megachurch building filled with people with access to their Bibles who are sitting there go, just t- slurping this stuff up without fact-checking to see if that's true. See, the problem is I can't remember what was before because I am here, present now. You're not supposed to remember what was before. You weren't there. But I can't remember what was before. When the Bible says that God redeemed us or restored us, or 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 redelivered us, or redeemed us from the curse of the law, from sin or death. It suggests that there was something between me and him before. No, it does not. It does not suggest there was something between you and him before. We'll explain this along the way. Before what? Before time. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna, Jeremiah's gonna help me out. I got myself in trouble, but Jeremiah's gonna pull me out. Jeremiah one four five, one, chapter one, chapter verse four and five. Jeremiah, check this out. It's still in frame. I haven't got to the picture. The word of the Lord came unto me saying, before, 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 before. Before, 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 
before before yeah he thinks he's making some kind of a point that somehow jeremiah chapter one teaches pre-existence it, it doesn't yeah the idea here is is that god foreknew us we'll take a look at the cross references in fact T.D. Jakes will take us to the primary cross-reference, which is found in Romans, and uh, we'll consider what, uh, what, just how the words work there. But he's basically trying to say, look, see, God knew Jeremiah before he, before he formed him in the womb, so they had to have a relationship. No, God foreknew him because God knew he would create him. It does not say that before I formed you, we knew each other. Nope. God knew. It, he knew because he is omniscient. He's all-knowing. So what he's doing to this text is absolutely criminal. Before, before your mama's ankle swole, before her belly got big, before her face broke out in a rash and before she threw up the first morning and told her husband, baby, I'm sick. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before, before I formed you, before you had... Notice God did the knowing. He didn't say we knew each other. There's a big difference between the two. Your first birthday... Before you were one week old, before you were one day old, before your mama was pregnant, I knew you. Before you were born, before you were born, before you were born, I set you apart. I set you apart. Now, what he's going to do here, and this is kind of an interesting Bible twisting technique, is he's going to dictate how this text is understood. And he'll create a whole narrative around it without any biblical text that actually say any of the things in his narrative. But T.D. Jakes is a classic example of a fellow who twists the scripture to tell people what their itching ears want to hear. And let me explain what I mean by that. In fact, let me duplicate this tab. No, I didn't want to delete it. Oh, I didn't want to pull it out. Okay, hang on a second. I'm going to put it back. There we go. And I'm going to duplicate the tab. My apologies. And we're going to go to Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. And we'll, we'll note the prophecy of the Apostle Paul regarding the last days. So Paul says to young Pastor Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. Now, this is, a, this is just a quintessential example of that. But note here that T.D. Jakes is a gifted ear scratcher. He scratches people's ears to tell them what they want to hear. And uh, and you'll you'll see this here as he's going to feed uh, their vain glory. Yeah, it's it and and you know it's absolutely fascinating what he's going to do next. But I wanted to prepare you for it because I want to point it out that in the deception that you're hearing, not only is he lying, what he's trying to do is to feed the ego, the sinful ego 
of the people who are there at the potter's house and make them feel like, oh, yeah, they are super-de-duper unique and special and stuff. Yeah, they practically glow in the dark, and, and everybody else, they're just schlubs. Yeah, I wish I was making that up, but you'll see this as we work through this. I meant for you to be different. Before you ever even got here, I meant for you to be different. And you spent the first 20 years of your life trying to fit in. But you, you catch that? Let me back this up. I'm going to back this up. Um, 15 seconds and watch how he goes. He takes this text before I formed you in the womb. I knew you. And this has to do with the calling and the commissioning of the prophet Jeremiah. I mean, one of the major prophets of the Bible himself, of, of the Bible itself, you know, of the old Testament. And God called him and God had set him apart and predestined him for the work that he was doing as a prophet before he was even formed. That, but it doesn't mean that they knew each other, and we'll talk about the narrative that uh, T.D. Jakes is going to spin off of this. But again, watch what he does here because he's going to take from this text and then springboard and then spoon feed, uh, you know, super growth hormone into the vainglory egos of the people listening. And I, and I wanted you to hear it in context. I set you apart. I meant for you to be different. Bef I set you apart. I meant for you to be different. Before you ever even got here, I meant for you to be different. And you spent the first 20 years of your life trying to fit in. But the reason you never fit in is that I set you apart before you ever even got here. You didn't even fit in with your neighbors. You didn't fit in with your friends. Uh-oh, you don't even fit in your family. You're the, one who, you're the only one in your family who thinks like you think because I set you apart before I formed you in the belly. Yeah, that, uh, so they're all, oh, yeah, they're up on their feet. They're, they're going to receive that word. And notice, he's just feeding their ego with complete vainglorious latitudes and nonsense. That's not what Jeremiah is about at all, especially chapter one. But we continue. I meant for you to be different. So don't be upset over the people who didn't like you, who thought you thought you were cute, who didn't like your hair. I don't care how you change your hair, change your walk, change your talk. I meant for you to be an outcast. <laughs> meant for you to be an outcast. Right, yeah. Rejected, ostracized. I meant for you to be different. Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you, I ordained. Now, a little bit of a note here. There, there is a very well-known megachurch leader. Um, I can't say the word pastor because it's really not that. Um, vision casting leader, uh, Stephen Furtick of Elevation Church, who hangs on every word that T.D. Jakes spews, you know, considers him to be his ultimate mentor. So my question is, how long before Stephen Furtick starts preaching that we pre-existed? Now that Ron Carpenter has done it, and uh, and now T.D. Jakes is clearly building off of what Ron Carpenter laid down. So how long before Stephen Furtick does that? Thank you. I set you apart. Oh, my God. This is good. No, it's not. And you just said OMG. And wow, that's not appropriate for any Christian, especially a pastor. So he knew me in eternity past. Okay, this is eternity 
Hey, eternity past is an oxymoron. Eternity past is an oxymoron. It is it is two things that totally disagree. Which text is he exegeting now? He knew me in eternity past. Which text talks about that? Hmm? Agree with each other. Eternity can't have a past. But the eternity is my only way of describing God. And past is my human attempt to express an anthropomorphic reality. He sounds so educated when he talks like that. Yeah. Throwing about around big $5 words. An anthropomorphic reality. Woo! It's got to be true because, I mean, how much do you think it costs to use that that word? I mean, just the vowels alone, buying them from Vanna White, how many thousands of dollars would that have been? An anthropomorphic reality, anthro, is human. It's a human attempt to describe something that is divine. So eternity, past, present, and future, past, present, and future are human terms. Eternity is God terms. Eternity passed before I was born. He knew me. He knew me. He formed me because he knew me. I had a relationship with him before. Okay, now he's spewing out the narrative. I had a relationship with God before. No texts say this. This is now the false narrative that he's going to embellish on from his misreading of Jeremiah 1. I had a relationship with him before I met my mother. That's why when he called me, I recognized his voice. See, that's the reason why when he called me, I recognized his voice, because we had a relationship before. Uh Uh-huh. He said, my sheep know my voice, a stranger they will not follow. That's why you go to church and get blessed, and the person you went with didn't get nothing. Maybe they didn't recognize the voice. I knew the voice before I read the Bible. You know the word, but I know the voice. (laughs) I'm sorry, the voice of God is heard in the Bible, in the word of God, rightly divided and taught. Wow, this is bad. So notice how, I mean, I, I, I recognize the voice. I had a relationship with God ahead of time. So uh, how come if I had a relationship with God ahead of time, did I, was I born without any knowledge of God whatsoever? How did that happen? Watch what he does with this. Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying. A lot of people know scripture, but they don't know the voice. He said, my sheep know my voice, a stranger they will not follow. And some kind of way, his voice resonated with me because I knew him before. He said, before I formed thee in the belly, when you were just a spirit and I was just a spirit, we knew each other on a spiritual level. <laughs> when I was just a spirit, we knew each other on a spiritual level. No text says this. Again, this is the false narrative now that he's u- building around his twisting of Jeremiah chapter 1. We connected. We hooked up. We got together. I agreed to send you in the time, but here's the deal. If you go in the time, you're going to forget what we had in eternity. No text says that. So now he's putting words into the mouth of God. So I'm going to send you into time, but, oh, here's the thing. Um, When you get there, you're going to forget who I am. Which text says this? No text says this. 
This is the story that he's just spinning out of his head in order to, you know, to embellish his false teaching. That's what being lost is about. Being, the reason I'm lost, I, I can't be, first of all, I can't be lost if I don't belong to somebody. And I can't be lost if there's not a place for me. So the whole notion of being lost is not, is not just about sinful activity. It's about not remembering. Mm-hmm. It's about not remembering. Again, no biblical text says this. And I would remind you of what Scripture teaches regarding the state of humanity under the fall. Uh, and that is going to be found for us in very clear language in Ephesians chapter 2. So listen to what the Apostle Paul says to the Christians at the church of Ephesus. And talking about the way, the way they were as to compared to how they is now. And here's what it says. And you, you were dead in trespasses in sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Hmm. Well, that's weird. The text doesn't say, and we had forgotten about how we pre-existed with God, and when we got here, we forgot. No, it says that we were born dead in trespasses and sins, and this is a result of Adam's uh, rebellion. Let me, let me do a little biblical work here. Um, yeah, all right. So, yeah, this is the text I want. Romans 5, uh, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God demonstrates or shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since there, uh, therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation." Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the man's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for judgment followed one trespass and brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, 
So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Yeah, so I think you kind of get the idea here. Something's really amiss in uh, T.D. Jakes's um, yeah, teaching, shall we say. And I'm doing a, uh, yeah, yeah there, there's another part of this I want to show because he was talking about being lost. Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15. Uh, he, here's what it says, and this is an important thing because talking about lost, found kind of stuff here. So you'll note that Ephesians 2, dead in trespasses and sins, Romans 5, talking about through Adam's sin, the many were made sinners. That's all of us. Uh, and that, you know, that we are objects of God's wrath, all this stuff. No text ever anywhere says that we forgot because we preexisted with God spiritually. And then when we got here, we, you know, we were made to forget. That's just total science fiction made up by a T.D. Jakes. But note then the lost and found motif in Luke chapter 15. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. That's the hymn there. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. This is a three-part parable. Uh, It's one parable in three chapters. So chapter 1, consider what it says. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? So here we've got clear biblical text talking about lostness. And it's going to talk about foundness also here very briefly. And it's not going to say anything that T.D. Jake says. Lost is about forgetting the relationship that you had with God spiritually before you, you were sent to earth. Nope, that's not how the Bible defines these things at all. And who, who's doing the defining here? Jesus is. Notice, these are red letters. Pay attention. So, uh, so what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over what? One sinner who repents then over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And we'll note here, Romans 5 makes it clear when we were lost... Because through the one man's trespass, the many were made what? Sinners. Okay? So Scripture defines lostness, and it doesn't define it in any way even remotely approaching what T.D. Jakes is talking about here. In fact, the stuff he's spewing is just utter nonsense. So let me back this up just a little bit, and I want you to hear again as he tries to explain how lostness is not merely about sin and stuff. No, it's about forgetting. Yeah, listen to what he says. And I can't be lost if there's not a place for me. So the whole notion of being lost is not just about sinful activity. It's about not remembering. 
No text says that. So, so he, he, he chose me in him before the foundations of the world. That's what the Bible said. He chose me in him. He picked me out and then sent me into time. Now, Thomas, I'm going to send you into time. Nowhere in scripture does it say he sent you into time. Another text here. This will help us out. You know, more text that we can add that better. Ephesians chapter 1. Um, and consider what it says here. Blessed be the God and Father. This is Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. So you'll note the choosing takes place prior to the creation of the, of the world itself. And we are part of the creation. Genesis 1 makes that very clear. That we should be holy and blameless before him, or you can say holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So note then that what God, the one he foreknew, he predestines. Predestines for what? Adoption. Adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So what T.D. Jakes is spewing here has nothing to do with the biblical doctrine of predestination. When I send you into time... You're going to walk in the time. Now, I'm going to back this up because you're going to note he's putting words in God's mouth regarding himself. T.D. Jakes, his first name is Thomas. So he's talking to himself. So listen to the words he's ascribing to God that God said to T.D. Jakes, to Thomas Jakes, before he was conceived and born. He picked me out and then sent me in the time. Now, Thomas, I'm going to send you in the time. When I send you in the time, you're going to walk in the time. And the moment you come out of your mother's womb, you won't remember that you knew me before. No text says this. This is total mythology. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul warned. People will no longer listen to the truth. They will gather to themselves teachers who will tell them what they're Itching ears want to hear, following their sinful passions, and they will no longer hear sound doctrine, but wander off into myths. Total myth here. But I set you apart. I won't lose track of you. I set you apart. And when I get ready for you, I'm going to call you. And when I call you, you're going to recognize my voice. Though you don't remember what we had before. The fact that, there, that all these people are clapping and applauding this utter mythology, pray for these people. Pray for them. They are under the grips of the devil himself. The prince of darkness reigns at the potter's house in Dallas. I'm going to prove this. Can I prove this to you? Sure, you can try. Okay, go to Romans 8, 29 and 30. Look at this right quick. It- All right, let's get there before he does. Romans 8, 29 and 30. 
And uh, let's just do a little bit of work in this text, shall we? Let's see here. I'm good. Romans chapter 8. Three rules for sound biblical exegesis are context, context, and context. So we'll note then, uh, you know, let's see here. We'll go to 26 and move forward and see if that's enough context to understand what's going on. And we'll pay attention to how the words work. So likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for all the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son uh, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, everything's going to hinge then on this particular word for new. Uh, the Greek word is uh, proskinosko. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, prognosco. My apologies, didn't pronounce that properly. Prognosco, to know beforehand or in advance to have foreknowledge. Okay. So what T.D. Jakes is going to do is say, oh, he foreknew me. That means we had a relationship, but I came into earth and I forgot. Okay. No, uh, prognosco means to have foreknowledge of something. Yep, that's really what it means. It doesn't mean that we that we had a relationship ahead of time. That's not how that word itself works. So that be, we're armed now with a, with good grammar. We've taken a look at it in context. We know what prognosco means. Let's see what uh, Thomas does with this, shall we? It's just a frame. It's not the picture. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be, to be, oh, this is so good. For those God, we're going backwards, foreknew, for those God before knew, those are people that God before knew, that's what foreknew means. No, it doesn't. Prognosco means to have foreknowledge. It does not mean that you know he knew me you know personally or anything like that so he he's not telling the truth about what the word prognosco means let me back this up and listen again god we're going backwards foreknew for those god before knew those are people that god before knew that's what foreknew means before knew he also this is future predestined most convoluted thing i've ever heard there it's as if he's purposely creating a smoke screen in order to engage in obfuscation. That's what he's doing. Okay, I, because I knew you before, I predestined you. No, it, foreknowledge is different than what you're talking about. Foreknowledge, you, God knows the end from the beginning. That doesn't mean that, uh, that I preexisted. That's not what this text is saying at all. And prognosco doesn't even remotely hint at that concept of pre-existence for human beings in the word foreknew. To be conformed to the image of his dear son. 
Good God Almighty. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Come on. And those he predestined, he also called. Wait a minute, go back to 29 again. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. All of that he did without me knowing it. I can't remember it. Come on. He did that without me knowing it because I can't remember it. The reason why you can't remember it is because you didn't exist. You didn't exist until you were conceived. And those he predestined, he, he also, he also, he, this is what I found out. He also, he also, he also, he also, he also, he also, he also. Notice the blatant manipulation going on here. He's playing to their vain glory. And, you know, the, he, like I said, he's a thespian. So he also, that's when I found out I was his. When he called me, that's when I realized that I wasn't what they called me. I, was, I wasn't what they called Who's they? What he called me. I wasn't what she called me. I was what... Called here, Claytos means to be called out of darkness into the light. It's not to be called a name or something. Man, this guy is just a master manipulator. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Oh, I'm hearing it. And the Bible don't teach none of it. So when he called me, we're having trouble with one of the screens. But when he called me, that's when I realized that's him. That's him. And because he called me, that's when I became aware of who I was before. Yeah, because he called me. That's when I became aware. Wait a second. Wow. I must have pre-existed before. Uh-huh. No. Again, no text teaches the pre-existence of humanity because humanity didn't pre-exist. And it doesn't matter what I was in when he called me. He called me. I could have been in a strip club, but he called me. I could have been in a gay bar, but he called me. God doesn't call people while they're there. He calls them through the preaching of the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So somebody at a strip club, it's highly unlikely that somebody's going to be preaching the gospel in either of those two venues that he just listed. This is weird. I could have been a high on crack, but he called me. And all of a sudden, what used to make me happy doesn't make me happy anymore. And what used to give me joy doesn't give me joy anymore. Because God has a way of disrupting your life. Yeah, my, my, apparently my life has been disrupted because, you know, I pre-existed and stuff. Yeah, I think you get the point. Uh, this is really a mess. And, you know, the, all I can say is, is that this is some of the, the rankest false doctrine and heresy I, I've come across. And it's so brazen. I mean, you, when you have doctrines of the Antichrist being taught and people applauding in megachurches, and uh, rather than walking out and saying, this is not what the Scripture says, this tells you just how far along we are in the great apostasy. And it's, it's, it's absolutely frightening to consider the implications. And like I've said, pray for the people at the Potter's House. They are in the grips of Satan himself. 
And if, if God doesn't grant them repentance and a, and a faithful preacher who will actually correctly preach the word to them, they're, they're doomed. Because uh, at this point, the, the heresies that are being spewed there are not minor errors. These are, these, these are ginormous her- her- errors that, that touch on the gospel itself. It's a different gospel, a different Jesus altogether, and a whole, totally different spirit that is being preached there at the potter's house. This is not Christianity. This is straight-out pit-of-hell doctrines of demons kind of stuff. So keep praying for them. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pyre Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you. And the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ is vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.